Blog Talk Radio. Smilingworld.org. 
we are Jan and Bill Moore. We are master manifestors, and we don't say that egotistically. We have just figured out how it works and how that divine quantum universe gives you love, joy, peace, and abundance all the time if you know how to uh, overcome the little blocks and things that are involved. And that is Jan's area specialty. That's what we're up here in Seattle teaching workshops on. That is what our upcoming online course will be all about. And we have yet to get out and see beautiful Seattle. Uh, We've pretty well been stuck in the um, RV park getting all the work done in preparation. But we're very happy to be here. And our next stop is down in Portland. So all of you folks, all the way from Vancouver, Canada, down to the top of California, We're going to be doing some workshops and events here, so keep your eyes on that asmilingworld.org and find out how you can join in. So, carrying on with the show today, Jan and I were having a little discussion yesterday, and I think it's really appropriate that we share this discussion with you folks um, before we bring our guest on. And that discussion was about um, we. 99.9999% 99.9999% of the time live in love, joy, peace, and abundance. And even better than that, I think, is when occasionally a little tiny hiccup comes or somebody really challenging steps into our life or um, something isn't quite going right at the moment, we've actually reached a point that we know now uh, exactly how to correct that and correct it very quickly. Um, effectively, let's just call it taking a step back, saying, okay, realign and shoot, and then right back into love, joy, peace, and abundance. Now, having said that, we are currently in a very, very interesting and unusual world situation. To many people, it's extremely stressful. Uh, it's even caused a lot of people to go into Um, the ultimate of stress and fear of having a heart attack, you know, what have you. And there's no need for any of that because even though it's a very unusual and and controversial and uh, chaotic time, we are actually standing on the threshold of a journey, as the Moody Blues would call it, uh, quoting one of their album covers, um, because when there's chaos, out of chaos comes the light and goodness on the other side. Uh, You always have a rain or a little thunderstorm before you see that big rainbow in the sky. And so what I'd like to do is, um, with uh, Jan and I's discussion today, uh, just before we bring Jean on today, is I'd like to have Jan and I uh, go through a couple of little points that, have to do with dealing with the chaotic world and how it impacts your manifestation. So, Jan, if people are looking at things that are going on in the world around them concerning the economy or concerning this big military operation down in the southern states, things that look very worrisome and troublesome, um, how do they continue staying on a path of love, joy, peace, and abundance, manifesting their desired outcomes rather than allowing the uh, things they see going on around them uh, influence and change their outcomes to things they don't want? How do they stay on track to get what they do want? Okay. Well, hello, everybody, and I'm glad to have you here today. It's a really good question, Bill, because... um, one of the key things that I share in the workshop... Jan. 
can um can we just um can we folks please take a minute with us here just one second for some reason blog talk uh, just decided to turn Jan off uh right then I don't know if the NSA didn't want you to hear what she had to say but I'll reiterate the question. How do people stay on track? I've got the uh, blog talk got you back on the microphone now. And uh, how do people stay on track in the midst of all the chaos and confusion? Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. And um, I do see that um, our guest is on the line. And if you can hear me out there, if you can just hold on for a bit here, we'll have a uh, this discussion with Jan, and I'll bring you right on, right on in. Go ahead, Jan. Okay. So I'll go back to saying hello and welcome to the A Smiley World Radio Show again. And what Bill was asking is a really important question because um, obviously we're, we're out to... Our intention is to help people to attain a level of consciousness that consistently creates the outcomes that they want. And we're all living in a world with a lot of things going on and a lot of things that can disturb our equilibrium. And sometimes we get tempted into thinking that because I'm in a stressful situation, it's okay to let go of all these principles because, um, you know, I'm suffering from um pressures from all sorts of things coming at me from the outside. So it kind of justifies letting go of the principles that um relate to maintaining that higher state of consciousness and staying in the higher self. And one of the things that we teach in the empowerment workshops is that manifestation is absolutely linked to consciousness, level of consciousness. And this is one of the key factors that is missing in the teaching of the law of attraction, that um, the law of attraction says positive and focus on the things that you want and everything will unfold magically. Well, the, the universe responds to energy. Quantum physics says that consciousness affects energy and there are many, many experiments that have proven that to be true. And our thoughts and feelings are energy. And in fact, if you're familiar with Abraham Hicks and um, Esther Hicks, who is the channel for Abraham, one of her recent quotes was that the universe doesn't respond to what you think. The universe responds to what you feel. So if you're feeling stress, and fearful and worried about the events that are happening in the world, that means you're focused on the problem. And when you focus on the problem, what you're doing is manifesting more problems. And the universe being very loving will deliver exactly what you're focused on. So one of the challenges when we're in these um, incredible global shifts and the chaos that goes with it, as as Bill was referencing, is to actually maintain our focus on the outcomes that we want. And so the two key things that we focus on in the empowerment workshop are mindfulness and the means of maintaining mindfulness, which is the power of neutrality. 
So the definition of mindfulness is that is the practice of maintaining a non-judgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experiences on a moment-to-moment basis. And that moment-to-moment basis is really underscoring the importance of staying in the present moment. And staying in the present moment means that you can maintain a state of fearlessness. Fear means false expectations appearing real. So when you are out of the present moment and in fear, what you're doing is imagining the possibility of negative situations occurring, negative things affecting you. If you stay in the present moment and focus on exactly the state that you're in in the present moment, which actually, if you're in the present moment, means, well, I'm okay. In this present moment, everything is perfectly fine. And in this present moment, I'm going to focus on the outcome that I want, which is peaceful world, I'm safe, secure, I'm taken care of by the divine, by the universe, the universe is loving, it is it, the universe having my back, it's out to give me a perfect solution to the current situation, it's there to protect me. If you maintain the focus on those positive outcomes, that means you are contributing not only to your own welfare and well-being, but you're also contributing to the collective consciousness of creating that outcome of peace and love and joy and abundance for the world. And, you know, one of the one of the problems that we have in these stressful times is that people tend to focus on negative reaction to the current situation. You know, isn't war terrible and how awful these um, shootings are that are going on, that are killing people, how awful it is with the economic situation, how terrible it is that we've got homeless people, how dreadful it is that, you know, people are starving in Africa, etc., etc. And by focusing on that, we think that we're actually helping people by being sympathetic. But actually what we're doing is we're actually contributing to the perpetuation of those situations. And it's not... By changing our focus away from that and not getting emotionally caught up in those situations doesn't mean that we are uncaring. It means actually we are very caring because we understand the power of the universe in delivering outcomes. So this is where the power of neutrality comes in because neutrality means that everything is neutral in the universe, every situation is neutral until we assign an interpretation to it. And very often we'll be in the thick of a situation and feel and judge that it's really negative. It's, it's a problem, it's a catastrophe, it's a crisis. And in our experience, and I'm sure you will have had similar experiences. Sometime later, in hindsight, you come to realize that that supposedly negative situation has turned out to be the most impactful catalyst for positive change 
that could ever have happened. And often the biggest crises are the ones that create the, the most positive change. So by staying in neutrality in the moment and not judging something as negative and therefore getting dragged into a negative energy around that situation and a focus on the problem, the power of neutrality enables us to step back and view the situation with detachment and open the space for a positive outcome to develop, even in the darkest, darkest situation. Because we don't know the big picture. You know, God, the divine source, the universe, has the bigger picture. Managing this whole big um, event of conscious evolution that we're all involved in. And even though some of these things may appear to be really painful for people, they are actually leading to an absolutely miraculous, beautiful, um, heavenly outcome for all of us. And if we keep our sight set on, on the concept and possibility of this whole new earth opening up for us and allow this chaos to be part of the change that needs to happen in order to create that, then we are positively contributing not only to an outcome that is beneficial and for, for us, but wonderful for all the inhabitants of the planet. And it goes beyond the planet. It goes out to the universe. So, Bill, that was a, a rundown quickly of <laughs> those key things of really staying mindful about where you're focusing your thoughts and feelings so that you don't get dragged into that negative place and contribute to the situation of the negative. And it does require some self-discipline in terms of controlling your thoughts. And that's, that's where we help in the workshop and in the coaching that I do in, is giving you the tools and strategies to develop that state of mindfulness, to keep yourself focused on positive outcomes, on, on good intentions for not only yourself but the wider world and really getting into a state of um, consistent love, joy, peace and abundance because you're able to maintain that um, manifestation process. Thank you, Jan. That's uh, that's really helpful because, folks, you do need to really give some thought. And if you have to go back and play that on the archives to listen to what Jan was saying about the power of neutrality, it is really, really important in these chaotic times to look at things with neutrality. Because one thing I do is we I kind of teasingly say I keep an eye on the dark side while Jan's bringing the light. Um and one of the things I can honestly tell everybody out here, and with my heart, soul, and betting my life on it, I do follow the research and doing everything um, to keep an eye on all of these chaotic events going on. And one thing that if you still watch television, you are at the hands of a brainwashing tool. And when you become aware of that and go, wait a minute, somebody's brainwashing me with false information. 
And when I say that, most everything that comes across the media now, if you can step back with neutrality, not anger, not any kind of prejudgment, but if you can stand back and say, wait a minute, the media is lying to me about these events. If you research the events, there is a very strong negative agenda being driven. The shootings are all false. A few of them actually happen, but they're staged, they're put up, they're created to uh, achieve an agenda. And when you look at this and you go, wait a minute, this is all a big hoax. It's a big illusion being created to keep us in fear, to keep us under control. When you can look at that with neutrality and say, okay, I hold no judgment against those people, what I'm saying is I'm looking at it and saying it's a false reality. It is a completely fake reality. And as you delve into it and learn more about manifestation and creation, and especially that power of neutrality, as Jan said, when you focus with neutrality on your outcome and, and manifesting and creating your own desired outcome, you are contributing to the collective consciousness. And under the laws of quantum physics, the collective consciousness itself does not have to be an uprising, a physical event. The collective consciousness can be a very small percentage by comparison of people on the planet that are actually focusing on that outcome, and they wash away all of that negativity anyway. So the reality is, if you get into that power of neutrality that Jan was talking about, and you create your positive outcomes, you're contributing to the overall creating positive outcomes and the rest of it washing away. And uh, I think Jan's going to add a thought there. Yeah, I just want to add something because I think it's really important to to recognize this principle in the light of the experiences that you've had in life because I would, I would more or less guarantee that you can look back across the, um, down the history of life and look at situations where you've been in really difficult positions or in some cases absolute crises and yet look at what's happened a you're here today so whatever it was that's happened in your past you've actually survived and i would guarantee that that experience has made you grow in ways that you could not otherwise have grown if you hadn't been in that situation i know i have and i know bill has and if you can look back at that and, A, be grateful for the situation that created that growth and, B, anchor in the the absolute confidence that every situation that challenges you is going to turn out well in the end, that you are going to be looked after, that the universe is with you, is doing everything to your ultimate benefit and is not out to to give you a, a hard life and a struggle and, a, and, and to trip you up at every opportunity. See this as uh, an evolutionary catalyst and out to ultimately be of benefit to you. It shifts your energy completely around 
the situation. And I know in, in cases where I've been in very stressful, emotional situations, I found one of the one of the major comforts being the ability to remain in that state of neutrality and to really focus on outcome and make decisions in a way that will create and manifest that beneficial result. And that in itself buoys you up in in those circumstances. It gives you that inner strength. And that's that's true empowerment to not get dragged into reactionary um responses to to react emotionally to go into fear to go into anger and to to actually you know lose control of the situation this this is a key element to manifestation which you know, is so important in those stressful situations. Otherwise, you end up with a disaster on your hands because the outcome is the opposite to that that which will be of benefit. So really stay... ...decide consciously on a response. What is the next step I can take? What's the next thing I can say? What's the next thing I can do to move me closer to the outcome that I want? And that outcome will not only benefit itself, but it will also support the collective consciousness in moving to positive outcomes for all of us. So, Bill, I think that really covers it. And I know we've got uh, Jean on the line, so why don't we uh, go ahead and and bring her off. I go on and Absolutely. Introduce. And as Jan says, speaking of positive beneficial outcomes, Jan and I both have worked with Jean and it was amazing. So we have uh, we're really excited to have her on the show today. And I'm gonna let Jan formally introduce her here and the two of them will get talking and uh by the time they get into horses folks we may be going for an all day marathon show. <laughs> Only kidding. Um I'm going to bring John. I'm turning Jane's microphone on now, but why don't you introduce her, Jan, and then y'all are ready to go. Okay, well, um, as Bill said, we've got a wonderful guest today, Jean Rockefeller and Jack the Watcher. And meeting Jean, not in person yet, I have to say, but I'm sure that will happen at some point, was another example of the synchronicity of the universe. You know, we are meeting some wonderful people along our path that have a really significant part to play in our life path and in our conscious evolution and in our awakening. And this is an example for me of how Jean was not only a very person in in the sessions that we did, from uh, Jean, but also... Um, through Jean, I also met Nancy Hopkins, and we've had Nancy on the show a couple of times with her story about cosmic reality, the book that she wrote, and also her mission to get Shungai to the masses, and I really urge you to listen to the archives of those shows. But Jean's wonderful, and of course, I was drawn to Jean because of Jack the Watcher. My 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 own spiritual journey has been very much connected with courses from the word go. And so when I saw an article by Jean 
um, giving the message from Jack the Watcher, the horse, I absolutely had to go and read what she had to say. And um, I'm really not going to go any more into what Jean is, is going to talk about. I'm going to let her really explain um, not only uh, Jack the Watcher, but also the work that she does and the development in spiritual terms that she's experienced over the last 13 years. So, Jean, welcome to the show, and it's such a joy to have you on today. And, um, well, how are you and Jack? Well, well, first of all, thank you immensely for that lovely introduction. And I'm just absolutely thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm so grateful and so appreciative and to you and Bill. So thank you very much. Well, it's for a having great pleasure me on. to have you, Jean. I must say. So, <laughs> tell us how did you um, how did you and Jack get together? Okay, so how Jack and I got together? My friend, um, my best friend Leah, adopted uh, Jack's a, a racehorse. He's a retired racehorse, and my friend Leah adopted Jack's brother Noah. And when Jack came up for adoption, the trainer or the owner of Jack um, specifically asked for me to adopt Jack, which was kind of strange because the woman didn't even know me. She just knew that I had helped Leah and that I was interested in getting a horse. I'd helped Leah with um, Noah, training him and so forth, getting him acclimated to um, civilian life. And she, like I said, she specifically asked for me. And so when Leah called me and asked me, you know, she told me that that Jack was up for adoption. They called him onesie. And the reason why they called him onesie was because he has one eye. He was born with a birth defect. So that was his his nickname on the track was onesie. And she said, you know, onesie's up for adoption, and and, um, Pat, the owner, wants you to, you know, she'd really like you to have him, so would you like to come and look at him? And I didn't want a thoroughbred. I didn't want a racehorse, an off-the-track thoroughbred, and I didn't want a young horse. He was only four years old, barely four years old, and he's huge. I'm I'm 4'11", he's 17'1". You know how big a 17-1 hand horse is. It's very big. So it's, yeah, so it it really isn't, it's not, really wouldn't fit my needs. So I said I'd, I'd, be willing to go look at him, but I I couldn't make any promises. And, well, when I went to go see him, they were introducing all the horses in the barn, and and all of a sudden, at the very end, I saw this horse stick his head out. And she said, that's that's him. Why don't you you go in and say hi and so forth? And I remember standing outside of his stall, and I just looked at him, and I just – I felt all this emotion just welling up inside of me. I thought I was just going to have a complete emotional meltdown right then and there. And she, Pat, the the owner, walked into the stall, and she said, why don't you come on in? And I I went in, and he he looked at me, and he bent his his neck around so he he could look at me. And I just touched his side, and I just lost it. I mean, I just started bawling my eyes out, and I had this incredible like deja vu it was a whole cocktail of emotions and memories all balled it up into one and i just i was like this is my horse <laughs> this is my horse i don't it doesn't even matter 
I'm going to, he's mine. That's it. That's, that's all there is to it. But then the problem was telling my husband because at the time, financially, we weren't really in a position to, um, to take on the, a financial responsibility of a horse, which can be very expensive. And I waited and waited and waited to tell him. And we, I went to, when I first met Jack, it was at the end of May. It was uh, like May 22nd or something like that. And they said I had until September. They weren't going to retire him officially until September. So I figured I had a few months to, to save up money and, and figure out how I was going to tell John and, and figure out how I was going to make it work and, and so forth. Well, they called me uh, two weeks later, and she said, um, once he's got to be gone from the track by the end of the week, he has an injury, and we can't keep him here anymore. So I went into panic mode because I thought, you know, I'm not prepared for this. How am I supposed to, you know, I didn't have my plan in place and, and how was I going to figure all this out and make it all happen and how I was going to tell John and make him say yes. And so I, we were out on the, we were sitting out on our porch, John and I were sitting out on our porch one night and, um, well, I thought the easiest and quickest way would be to get him drunk and then to tell him. So I started giving him wine. Now keep in mind this was a school night, so this uh-huh. was like a, a you know a, a Monday night or a Tuesday night. So to, to have alcohol on on a night like that is just you know it was very much out of the ordinary. So after about the third glass of wine, he looked at me and he said, I could tell he was getting a little buzzed, and he said, um, Are you trying to get me drunk? And I said, uh, Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And I said, I have something to ask you. And he said, all right, well, what is it? And I said, well, um, you know, I told him the story about the about the horse and that he was up for adoption, and I fell in love with him. And he just kind of smiled at me really slyly, and he said, you know, I know this is a dream of yours. And he said, we'll, we'll make it work. No matter what it takes, we'll, we'll figure it out, and we'll make it work. So you tell them that you can get the horse. So the horse was due to – Jack was due to um, – arrive at the farm where I had chosen to board him um, on June 27th. And I remember when I was waiting for the trailer to come, I realized it was my mom's birthday, and my mom had passed away decades ago. So I thought that was an interesting synchronicity. And it just kind of validated for me at the time that that really was, was meant to be. So that's, that's, how, I, that's how I got Jack. Wow, what a great story! Um, I mean, what was your what was your history in relation to horses, and what what were you doing at that time of your life? Because how long ago was this? Um, this was nine years ago. I I was born into this world absolutely loving horses and being surrounded mm. by surrounded by horses. I started riding um, probably when I was four or five years old, and I had a horse. Um, when I was when I was younger, and whose name was Aladdin. So if you think the genie in Aladdin, I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting. And he was he was incredible. Um, Aladdin was just an incredible horse. So I I showed, um, I did eventing, um, I did all kinds of uh, equestrian events, and and for most of my life. And then when I got married and I started having, and you know I had children and so forth, I gave it up for a couple of years. And then, interestingly enough, I was in a, I was in the in line at the bank one day, and I was in my early 30s, 
and I hadn't ridden probably for about seven or eight years. And um, this woman turned around, and here it was somebody that I had ridden with as a kid who now owned a horse farm. And she invited me to come and start taking riding lessons. So that's when I that's when I took it up again. And then I rode for a while at different places, and I showed again, and then I just got to the point where I kind of had, had enough of going to shows and events and stuff like that. And then nine years ago, I, I found Jack. So I've been around horses my whole life, and animals, really. I've been around animals my whole life. They've always been a huge part of my life. In fact, at some points in my life, they, they were the only friends I had. Interesting, yeah. It's a, uh, interesting what a, um, in some ways, parallel experiences me. I mean, I I was born with this passion for horses that my mother was completely confused about because we'd not, we haven't got any history in the family of connection to horses. And, um, you know, this is where I always talk about when you manifest things, it's very much in alignment with life purpose because I mm-hmm. I wasn't in a family where I was able to be around horses and financially my mother couldn't um, pay for me to learn to ride and everything. So I remember having some experiences with horses. One of the early photos of me as a little top sat on top of this huge shire horse because we had... Oh, wow that had a farm and in those days they were still using horses on mm-hmm. the farm you know to mm-hmm. to to um actually pull the plows and everything else and oh yeah being, they were work they were working yeah yeah and and uh, there's this photograph which has been lost now but it sticks in my memory of being sat on top of this huge horse and loving it you know mm-hmm. so um and again you know the parallel with this really deep connection with with animals and i want to lead on from that to say you know you you call jack the watcher and in the show notes you mentioned about animals being um of a higher consciousness and supporting mm-hmm. humanity in um in their own evolution can you just explain more about that and the role of of animals because obviously you know the the overriding culture at the moment is that humans are more highly evolved than animals. And yet we see so many examples of this being, you know, proven to be false. Well, yeah, and, and, yeah, arguably we, you know, and and that goes with the whole ego of humanity. And, you know, for a long time we thought we were the center of the universe. The sun revolved around us, and then we realized that we were revolving around the sun, and then we thought maybe ours was the only solar system in the universe, and then we realized that we're just one small little speck. And then science thought, well, you know, we're probably the only planet that has any kind of life on it or any kind of humanoid life and now we know that that's that's far from the truth we're just one little one little drop in the universal ocean as far as that goes and and i've always believed that um animals have placed themselves in a place of submission to help us through our evolutionary process you know we have to get back to realizing that we have we are all interconnected and we're all connected and that everything we think, everything we feel, everything we do has a collateral effect on everything, not only on this planet, but throughout the whole universe. It reverberates everywhere. And 
the watchers very specifically what what sets them apart because I've talked to many animals that are uh, you know I've had conversations with many animals that are sentient beings but what sets the watchers apart is their healing abilities they have healing abilities so you know science even says now that they they recognize that um dog owners live longer cat cat owners live longer um holding and petting a cat will lower your blood pressure Petting a dog will lower your blood pressure. It can have beneficial effects. You know, they bring animals into hospitals. They they understand that people resonate with them, and they think superfluously. They think that it's it's just because animals, you know, are are cute and they they relieve stress and so forth. But they they actually have healing abilities. And I know there's many people around the world that um, use horses for healing. Um, dolphins are used for healing. There's there's all kinds of equine therapy programs and um, animal uh, dog and cat therapy programs, and they're all intended to focus on the fact that animals are not just objects. That they that there's a lot more going on with them than meets the eye. So back to what the purpose of the watchers is it's just really to let people know and to help them to awaken to the concept that there are beings here that are serving in ways that humans can't even really conceptual conceptualize with i didn't say that properly but you get the idea i mean <laughs> I nature <laughs> nature is healing if you if you go walk out and you know walk out in the woods you're going to feel better. You're going to. Um, it's going to lift your mood if you're you're not feeling well. If you're feeling tired, you just go outside and, and walk around with no shoes on. You're going to feel better. So there's there's healing and there's there's healing available all around us. It's just we have to open up and and realize that we are connected. So if you if you decide to cut a tree down in your backyard because it's it's placed inconveniently or it's grown inconveniently, that's going to have a negative effect because that, that tree has has a soul. It has a purpose, and it has a life. So those are all things that need to be considered as we, as we start to move forward in our, in our evolution and our ascension. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the experiences that I had when, when we first came over here from the, from the U.K., um, we, we actually did a 6,000-mile road trip. We started out in San Francisco and, and drove a big circle around um, through Utah, Colorado, down to, to Texas and back around the bottom, you know, across New Mexico and Arizona and back up. But um, one of the things that we did was we visited Mule Woods, and that happened to be where Bill made his first proposal. And, and so, so what, I didn't hear what you said, the what woods? <clears throat> Muir Woods, just north of um, San Francisco, where the giant redwoods are. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. And um, we were walking through the um, the forest, and we, we'd heard a little bit of an introduction from one of the, the guides saying that the trees actually reproduced um, vegetatively. In other words, they, because of the seeds uh, not when they landed on the forest floor, the environment wasn't conducive to the seeds germinating, which I thought was quite interesting. So what they did was new shoots would come up from the root trees. 
And so, in effect, they have family groups of trees. And I oh, remember wow, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I was walk- we were walking through, and there was this group of trees, and one of them had fallen, and it was obviously dead. And I just felt this overwhelming feeling mm. of sadness. Mm-hmm. From from that family group of trees, it was quite profound, actually. The you know the that just that emotion that seemed to be in in the atmosphere around that group. Mm-hmm. So it's well, um, you know, it's interesting you say that because I was I was at a friend's house over the weekend, and um, she lives on a very old piece of property where a lot of um, her house is uh, three hundred years old, and the the property that she lives on is very old and there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of old stuff. And when I was there last year, um, she asked me if, if she and I could do a clearing. So we, we did. And uh, I went over this weekend and she brought me out in the backyard and she said, this plum tree hasn't bloomed, hasn't produced fruit in 15 years and there's fruit on it. And she pointed to another tree that also, I think it was a pear tree that hadn't had fruit on it in, you know, over a decade. And you could feel this delineation as you walked across the property, you could feel a delineation in like the positive energy. And then all of a sudden you cross this line, this imaginary line, and it got very heavy and very dense. And she said, well, why don't, can we try to clear this out? And I said, sure. So I went over to, um, there was a tree in the the very corner that they were thinking about chopping down. And um, I started started working on the tree, sharing energy with it. And the tree said, please, please ask them not to chop me down. I'm very, very important to the property. I'm I'm an anchor for the property. So if they lose me, they're going to lose a lot of other things. They're going to lose a lot of other... um, support for the for the entire property so i i worked on the tree a little bit more i asked it what it needed and i was giving it energy and at the very end it sang i actually heard the tree sing and when i told my friend this she said oh my gosh i just saw a thing on youtube or something where these people hooked up this machine to plants and you could hear the plants singing wow which i thought was pretty amazing so i didn't it, it didn't even I didn't put the, you know, I didn't correlate the two at the time because I didn't, I didn't really know about it. But it was really, it was a, it was a profound experience to see this. It was an old poplar tree. I don't even know how old it was, but it's a very old poplar tree, and it was just this amazing sound that it was emanating. It was just mm-hmm. beautiful. So that's kind of along the lines of what you were saying. Yes, and um, you know, as you were saying, the the human ego has been. Um, putting itself in a position of superiority over everything. And, and um, you know, when we actually recognize the connection and the interconnection, that's why one of our focuses, is, you know, it started with the festival in 2011 and with what we do is to really get, encourage people to get back in connection with nature because mm-hmm. it's that separation from nature that makes people lose the recognition of how mm-hmm. important every every species, every individual within the species is in keeping this wonderful balance and that's why we've got so many issues with the environment because mm-hmm. human intervenes and says, Well we this species is a pest, we'll get rid of it and the, the snowball effect of removing that right. species just has a hugely negative effect on the whole environment. 
Well, when you realize your connection too, it makes you take a, a harder look at yourself and it and it and what your role in all of this is and taking responsibility for your actions and how you're just the little things that you can do that can make a huge difference. You know, instead of throwing your garbage out, start a compost pile. And you know, recycle if you don't if you can't recycle. So little little things that you can do that can really have a big impact. And those little things that you do, again, the snowball effect that you were referring to gains momentum and brings about positive change for everybody. It just adds to the whole positive effect of everything. Yes, and one thing I've become, both of us have become very tuned into is how many messages you actually get from the natural world. I mean, you know yourself when um, when we had our session, we were still at the ranch in um, in Austin, and you were saying how heavy the energy was mm-hmm. there, which kind of mm-hmm. reflected the whole atmosphere of the place. And you know, we was we. Bill called it the ranch of death because there have been so many negative experiences there, literally mm-hmm. with animals being killed in accidents and, and even people being injured and so on. And, you know, before we, as we were in this process of transitioning out of there, which was absolutely a, a, a manifestation that uh, was meant to happen, we had the most incredible um, experience with some buzzards appearing and um, I won't go into the full detail but in effect um, led Bill down the driveway to signify you know time to move on I'm leading you right. away from here mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. when you're tuned into these nature messages and I'm not you know I have to look it up in the in the Stephen Farmer books and things like that but you know, when you when you're aware of the possibility of these messages coming to you, and you really spot the, I mean, that was such an obvious, uh, significant, really unusual piece of behaviour mm-hmm. by these birds that it it was obviously meant as a message. But you know, recently we've just had so many appearances of ravens, for example, which mm-hmm. is following us around. So. Nature has so much to oh, offer us in, absolutely. in support and help and messages, doesn't it? It it does. And you know, one one thing too, um, when you're when you were at that farm or and this goes for anybody, if there's people that are in the environment that are unwilling to change, you really can't do a whole lot. There's not really a whole lot that you have to work with. You can't just rip the rug out from underneath of them and interfere interfere with their free will and change things because it just it's not going to have any lasting effect. Things are just going to end up going back the way they were. So really you didn't have any choice but to leave because your energy was no longer in alignment with with them and and there was your 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 mission and your reason for being there had come to an end and it was time to go. And that's what happens for people. They, you know, you talked about um, being fearful about change and, and people are fearful about change because they'd rather stay in the chaos that they're familiar with than possibly fearfully going into chaos that they're not familiar with rather than just trusting that they're going to move into something that's better and, and more in alignment with their, their, higher self and promoting their well-being 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, every situation is is significant for us anyway. We have a role to play in everything, don't we? So mm-hmm. even if it seems to be a negative environment, even if we're not consciously aware of the, that influence that we have or that contribution, it, it's there for a reason. I mean, I, I could give you a whole list of incredibly significant things that happened and you were aware of some of them because of the session we had but you know really really significant events that happened during that time at the ranch for both of us that absolutely underscored for me that this was part of our life path that we absolutely have to go through even Mm -hmm. though it seemed to be contradictory to what we consider to be our life purpose which is you know a smiling world and delivering right. the empowerment messages and, and teaching manifestation. But that was an absolutely integral part of our development in order to be where we are today. So rather than resisting these things, it's kind of, as you say, opening up and, and recognizing the value that they bring and, you know, tuning into when it's time to let go of it and move on. Well, yeah, yeah, and that goes back to what you were talking about uh, with neutrality, standing in it, standing in the present, being in neutral. And um, Jack called this compassionate disassociation. So you're able to look at what other people are going through or what whatever the situation is with compassion, but yet you're not feeding it with fear. You're you're disassociated from it, and you're able to respond in a loving and um, nurturing way rather than from a fear-based standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good good way of putting it because, you know, some people look... Oh, I'm echoing. Hang on a minute. Bill, have you done something? There, that's better, I think. Yeah. There you go. Sometimes you get the echoes. Um, you know, some people think that because you're not getting emotionally involved in things that you don't care, but actually it's not that. You recognize that if you feed energy into that situation, Mm -hmm. you're actually making it worse for the person. Exactly, yeah. You're you're pouring gasoline on the fire. Yeah, and I call Mm -hmm. it empathy, not sympathy, because sympathy is you victim mode, whereas empathy is I understand what you're going through. And I'm going to focus my intention on supporting and 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 helping to co-create the outcome that you want, rather than miring you further into the the mud of the current situation. Well, th- that's you know, it's interesting that you say that. There's a there's a book I can't remember who it's by. It's called "Be Careful What You Pray For." Um, it, it was written by a physician, and he did. Um, he wrote a couple of books, but it was really interesting because he actually did a couple of studies where people that were in rehab, if they had people praying for them, um, chances are they would they would end up staying in rehab longer, or they would have relapses. And when he talked to the people that were that were praying for the people that were in rehab, a lot of times they were sending them negative. Emotion. So even though they were praying, they were they were thinking in their head, um, you know, we want you to get better, we want you to heal. The, the emotions that they were emanating, because nine times out of ten, these people had been hurt by the by the people that were in rehab. So they were projecting those hurt feelings. Um, he he proposed that that was the reason why they weren't getting better. So it wasn't the fact that they were getting 
they were being prayed for. It was the fact that these it was piggybacked with these um, negative emotions. So it was the emotions that were overriding what was the the thought energy. It was the emotional energy that was that was really the most powerful. Yeah, and that goes back to what I, that quote from Esther Hicks that the universe doesn't um, doesn't respond to what you think; responds to what you feel. Right. And, and so this is where I mean I don't want to go into this and, and distract from what you're what you're talking about, but this is where you know manifestation actually is so impacted by mm-hmm. the underlying feelings and by the subconscious beliefs that that's what we need to address when we're struggling to to manifest the things that we really we tend to really really want the things that are the most difficult for us to get and so it becomes a a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy that we end up with more of what we don't want because that's where our feelings are so strong right and you know it's important if you're trying to manifest too and i'm sure you've talked about this but it's letting it go once once you've once you've come up with something that you want to manifest, the most important part is releasing it to the universe. I can't remember where I heard this analogy, but I thought this was a really good one. It's when people try to manifest, it, it's the same as planting a seed and digging it up, you know, a couple of times to, a couple of times a day to see if it's growing. In essence, what you're doing is you're killing it. Rather than just putting it in watering it a little bit and letting the sunshine take over and and letting nature take its course you're trying to control it or trying to keep checking on it to make sure it's something's happening and what you're doing then in fact is is preventing it from manifesting at all absolutely and i think part of that is this is you know in some circles this concept that well if if you use the law of attraction it should just manifest instantly and and it doesn't work that way, so that's right. why people keep digging it up because they're saying, "Well, it should be here now." Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I just said it yesterday. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and I mean, some things do, but other things don't. This is where it, you know, there's so many more factors involved. But yeah, absolutely. Well, the bigger um, the request, the longer it takes to line up the energy. Hmm. To, to have it manifest, yeah. you know, you can you can manifest no lines at the bank or, you know, a great parking spot, but if you want to manifest a house or a relationship or something like that, that takes a little bit of time. And, you know, there's there's something, too, that there, there's inherent programming that people have embedded within them that they may not even be aware of that is actually preventing them or not preventing them but making it more difficult to attract what they really desire and to be able to co-create what they really desire. So it's all about self-examination. And if you're hitting obstacles, check into yourself and see, well, all right, so what am I, what am I thinking? What am I feeling that's actually maybe hindering my ability to, to co-create what I want or co-create what I desire? Yeah. And this is where it's so, so linked to consciousness Uh, and it's, it's actually our ability to manifest is linked to our conscious evolution, and it's mm-hmm. not just an egoic thing of, oh, I want a, a new car or something or a big right. house. It, it's very much about that um, conscious development as well. Bill wants to say something. He's uh, okay. getting all excited. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Jane. I didn't get to give you my love and hugs at the beginning. Oh, uh, thanks. As I thanks, cowboy. Over. 
But uh, I, I send my love and hugs. And I also was just going to throw in, when Chan and I were in Durango on that part of the road trip before Denver and before Montana and Wyoming and Yellowstone and all, all of the many stops in between to get up here to Seattle, when we were in Durango, we were invited by one of the festival attendees who we had linked back up with. Uh, she actually played in the band that was part of the entertainment. And uh, she invited us to go to a session by a lady named Edwina Gaines. And she was doing a talk on prosperity. And what you and Jan were just talking about, you know, especially what you said about looking at yourself. Edwina gave out a brochure on, you know, setting goals and and, uh, creating outcomes of your goals that you want. And one of the things I thought was interesting is in that it said um, she she took a little more on the line of a, not a uh, organized religion approach, but I'd say a little bit of leaning toward religious spirituality. And... uh, one of the things she had in her brochure that was along the lines of what you said was when you were going through your goals or reading down through your goals and just kind of reviewing them and saying, okay, you know, universe, divine universe, God, Lord, whatever, you know, terminology you use, um, I'd like to just review the goals I'm setting. She said one of the things you need to do is to pray that, you know, to the higher divine, what is it that I need to change in myself in mm-hmm. order to achieve my goals? Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's a very powerful thing that struck me, and and it it is it's it related to what you were talking about, looking at yourself and self awareness, mm-hmm. because you know. Uh, biblically speaking, there was the writing, which is in the quantum physics world. There is no truer statement than that biblical statement, ask and you shall receive. If you ask, yeah. you will receive. But mm-hmm. you have to know how to ask. And it dawned on me, yeah. what what is it that I do need to change in myself in order to mm-hmm. receive, you know, and smooth the flow and straighten the the course a little bit. And as Jan and I teach a lot is Jan talks about the divine always takes the scenic route because what <laughs> we have to what we have to do is learn our gratitude and appreciation every right. single day. And when we're thrown a curve to step back and say, I am so glad I've been thrown this curve. I am so grateful right. because I know there's a lesson in here. Mm-hmm. that I needed to learn to get to that outcome, not only this time, but faster next time, you know. Well, yeah, so that's a, that's a great point because it, it, at that point, a lot of people would become, they would feel defeated. And they would say, oh, mm-hmm. well, you know, I guess I'm not worthy or I don't deserve it or, or whatever. And and instead of um, instead of doing the woe is me thing, looking at it in a positive way, saying, what can I learn from this? Or what is the universe trying to show me um, that I need to work on in order to reach my full and divinely planned potential? Exactly. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that in and, and also uh, interject my love and hugs. I didn't get to give you at the beginning. Well, so thank you, Bill. Love you... and hugs back. Okay, I'll I'll turn you back over to Jan now, and you two can carry on. I'm really enjoying listening to both of you. Well, thank you, Bill. Okay. So, Jean, my next question for you, we were talking earlier about 
the animals as watchers. Is every animal on the planet a watcher, or are there certain animals playing that specific role? They yeah. What um, watchers have healing abilities. So even though um, I haven't, I mean, it's from my perspective. So all of the animals that I've ever worked with, almost all of them, have been high-level um, sentient beings, watchers. And But I have met some that are very, very three-dimensional, very, um, even though they're self-aware they and they're emotional and, and all that, you know, other things, they don't have that connection to the universal consciousness. And then there's other animals that do have a connection to the universal conscious, but but they don't have healing abilities. So they're sentient beings. They're very wise. Um, they're very easy to communicate with. And they're very aware they have connections, but they don't have those healing abilities. For example, chick- I have chickens. And when I asked, when I first um, had a conversation with them, I, I was holding my rooster. And... I was working with him a little bit energetically, and I asked him if he was a watcher, and he said no. But I am—I do have a connection to the to the galactic beings, and I am working here on Earth. I am serving a purpose here on Earth, and but I don't have the innate healing abilities the way the watchers do. So his purpose was a little bit different than you know, say Jack or you know the other watchers. That's really interesting. I mean, one of the debates I've had internally is the question do do animals have egos because as you were saying that's a really big... great question because i was just it's that's i'm sorry finish your question no i was going to say because you know some some animals do seem to be very much more reactive almost in the same way that the human ego is reactive i mean our jack russell is a prime example you know she sees another dog and it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. and and um you know, the, I've seen other examples where it's almost like the same characteristics as a human ego are being demonstrated in animals, and that's what made me me question whether um, whether animals do have egos. We, you know, we know they have emotions, even though in some circles there's a denial of that. Um, it's kind of one <laughs> step further in in the. If you act, and I'm rumbling a bit here, but if you, no, go if ahead. you kind of accept that, you know, we can choose to come back in whatever form. And in fact, in Dolores Cannon's books, um, Convoluted Universe and the like, where she does these past life regressions, there's one of the things that she was um, in her transcript, um, she kind of pieced together was that we go as, as, as spirits, as souls, we evolve by experiencing life mm-hmm. in different forms. So, as a rock, as a tree, as an animal. So, if if that's the case, and that's part of our um, spiritual development and evolution, are we carrying with us that ego element, no matter what form we take in the physical? That's a that's a tremendous question. I have asked Jack to explain that, and he can't. The best way to describe it, at least how he's described it to me, is our ego is. It's what keeps us separate. So, in other words, if we were a hive of of bees, 
um, bees function as a collective. So there's no individual in a hive, correct? Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Except for the yeah. queen, yeah. they're all functioning as a unit. Whereas humans, because we have egos, our ego is what separates us from the hive. And what's happened is over evolution, the 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 ego has just been, um, it's just been diluted with so much fear over years, over years, over lifetimes, over lifetimes. And Jack, I can tell you. If he doesn't want me to bother him, and he'll give me a warning, and if I don't heed the warning, he'll turn around and try to bite me or kick me or whatever he needs to do to get my attention. And he definitely has an emotional response, and he definitely has emotions, and he can be happy, he can be angry, he can be sad. And it would make sense that although he understands that he is an individual being, especially being a horse, because um, a horse is part of a herd, so it's it's a it's a herd in of itself as a collective. They they operate as a unit, but yet they are still individuals. So in that regard, he still has an ego, but it it's almost impossible to describe it or to explain it in humanistic terms. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Be, um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I suppose we're, we're all trying to work this out anyway, aren't we? So, well, the ego's the ego. The, to the the simple, the simplistic answer to your question is yes, he has the ego. However, it's it's not anything like a human would experience, or at least the human that I would be aware of would experience. So it's it's very difficult for me to understand what his ego is like. But, yes, he's very much – he can be very much a horse in one moment. I can be riding him, and he can be, you know, just this magnificent horse. And then other times when he's working, bringing in universal energies, they uh, – I'll come up to the farm, and they will all be – all the horses will be in meditation. They'll all be sleeping, and how I know that they're in meditation and they're working is that, generally speaking, and you're, I know you're familiar with this terminology, their stay apparatus doesn't work. So when a horse goes to sleep, they, they are, they're capable of sleeping standing up. But, mm-hmm. And what happens is they're – I'm explaining this for people who don't know. So yeah. their, their muscular skeletal system – locks in place, their their legs lock in place so they can stand up and sleep and get a rejuvenative sleep. When they're working, when they're when they're bringing in universal energy, when they're working with planetary energies, that apparatus fails. So, um there's one horse at the farm who will he will put his front feet out very very far so his legs are locked and he pulls his back his back his hind legs back very very it almost looks like he's parked like a Morgan would park themselves. And uh-huh. there's another horse who will prop himself up against the, the fence. He'll literally, like, sit on the fence with his butt up against the fence. Jack doesn't do that. Jack will, um, he will, his legs will buckle. And then he'll he'll stand up again. He'll kind of come out of it. He'll be a little woozy. And then he'll start dropping his head and his lip drops. And then his legs get all wobbly. And then, boom. They, they, his legs start to buckle again, and I don't know. I, I've said to him, "Why can't you do what Chance does and lock your legs?" And he said, "It's just not comfortable for him." So that's what he does. So, in in that, that's one way that I can tell that they are working. 
and and very much connected to the universal energies and to Gaia. And then other times he's completely present in the here and now, and he's a horse, and he's ready to go. And if he could run into the barn and get the bridle and put it on himself, he would. But if he's working and I try to ride him, forget it. It just it isn't happening. But after so, so many years, I've come to recognize when when he can be ridden and when he can't. It's a bit like us, really, when we have the difference between, you know, our day-to-day life and and then, oh, we're going to go into our, you know, deeper meditation, exactly. spiritual quiet time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Fascinating. Exactly. So, so Jean, how, you, you got um, adopted, Jack, nine years ago. How did you come to realize that he was a watcher and, and what? whatever that meant in terms of, you know, the connection between the two of you. Okay, so I started working with, I started doing energy healing about working with Reiki and different kinds of energy healing modalities about 15 years ago. And I I realized when I was doing that that I could, um, I don't like to say I'm an animal animal communicator. I I prefer an animal empath because it's more like I I feel and I get conversations through that than actual um, intellectual conversations. So I realized when I was doing energy work, I, I could work, I could feel what the animals were feeling. They would give me messages sometimes, or I would get messages from their from their emotions. And I realized too at that time that the animals were really evolved. I mean, that's really the best word that I can use. They were highly, highly evolved. And I thought for a short period of time that that was how all animals were, were. but I I think I mentioned previously that I came to understand later that that's not the case. It was just Mm -hmm. that I was attracted to um, the higher level, the higher evolved animals. And I have a friend who lives in Florida who um she emailed me one day and she said, you know, I met this I met this long-haired German shepherd on the beach and the the dog's name was Thor and she said I immediately realized that there was something really different about this dog. And she sent me his picture and she said, "Could you, you know, communicate with him or, you know, see if he has anything to say or just can you validate this feeling that that he's somehow very special and very different?" And I, I resisted doing this because I don't like to, um, I don't like to do things unless I'm, I'm verbally asked. So in other words, I, I would be reluctant to do that unless the owner, the owner, the human companion of the dog contacted me. But she was really persistent, so I, I acquiesced. And one night I sat down and I looked at his picture, and I wrote down what he said. And it wasn't really anything. Um, mind-blowing, you know, just regular mundane stuff. But at the end of the conversation, he said, I'm a watcher. And I said, oh, okay, that, that's – I kind of just tucked that, tucked that away and didn't even really think anything of it. So when I emailed my friend, she jumped all over that. She said, well, what's a watcher? And, and have you ever heard that before? And, and, well, let's look this up. And and she started looking up stuff on the Internet and – I couldn't find anything that that I felt resonated with what Thor meant by being a watcher. And and then she said, well, why don't you just ask Jack? So easy breezy. Sometimes I forget, you know, I can ask him things. (laughs) 
so I was I was at the I was at the barn one night and nobody was there and I was grooming Jack and Jack will shake his head yes or no if I ask him questions. And I was grooming him and I said, Jack, do you know what a watcher is? And he shook his head yes. And um I, I stopped for a second, I looked at him and I said, Are are you a watcher? And he really shook his head. And then he said, um he said yes, and I and I I have I'm going to have information for you to share about uh, more about this. And I didn't really. That was kind of the end of that conversation, and I just continued grooming him. And then, about two weeks later, I kind of forgotten about it. And um, I'm also a dental hygienist, so I was at work as a dental hygienist one day, and I had to. Um, I was working on a patient. And all of a sudden, I could feel Jack's energy with me. And he started pushing all this stuff into my head about he wanted me to create a blog, and he had messages and healing to share, and he was a watcher, and he's a sentient being, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, here I am trying to work on my patient, and I have sharp instruments in my hand, and I have my horse screaming at me in my head. (laughs) So I excused myself from my patient, and I got up and I went into the dark room, because that's where everybody goes when they want to either talk on their phone or have a private conversation with their horse. So I walked into the dark room, and I closed the door, and and I said, Jack, we, we can't do this right now. I'm at work, and I have to pay attention to what I'm doing. So, you know, later on when I came home, um, I sat down at the computer, and I started I started writing what he said, uh, what he wanted to say. And it was about the, the universal law of abundance and, and information about the Civil War and why the Civil War occurred and, and what would have happened if, the South won. It was pivotal that the North won because if the if the South had won, um, it, chances are the country would have been split up into three to five smaller smaller countries. And then during World War One and World War Two, we wouldn't have been able to fight on all the fronts that we did to be able to defeat the the Japanese and the Germans, you know, at, at once because we would have been fractioned up into into three to five smaller countries. And it was just. It was mind blowing to 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 read this stuff, and it, it kind of I thought at that point I thought, oh my god, I, I've I've lost my mind, I've I've lost my mind. <laughs> I mean, I, re- I really I'm serious, Jan. I I questioned my sanity. I thought it this has got to be my imagination. It's got to be my imagination. And I was talking to my friend jo- Joanna, the one who had introduced me to Thor, and she said. It, it's not your imagination. It can't be your imagination. She said it's too profound to not be real. She said the truth is always stranger than fiction. And I would keep going to the, you know, every time, I, it took me about three weeks to write the, the Jack's first message um, because there was energy that he imparted with it. So I would get the energy first, and I'd literally have to just walk away because it was, it was um, overpowering me. And, you know, I'd go to the barn and I'd say, Jack, is this really real? Are you really doing this? And he'd shake his head, yes. And sometimes I'd get, he'd pin his ears and, and, you know, grind his teeth at me like, don't be an idiot. You know, yes, this is real. Stop (laughs) asking me. Stop bugging me about this. And when I finally completed the message, um, it was the, he released something called the pumpkin ray, which was the purified law of abundance. And I remember I walked into the bathroom um, after I was done writing the message, and I, I looked in the mirror, and everything had an orange hue. 
and I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm having a stroke or what, what's going on with my eyesight or, you know, it kind of freaked me out for a minute. And then I thought, oh, the pumpkin ray, it's, it's real. Like, it's really real. My horse is giving me information and energy. This is, it, it, it's mind-blowing. It just blew my mind. And it still continues to blow my mind what he says and what, what, the, what all the animals have told me that they're doing and how they're participating and, and the connections that they have. It, it, it's just, it's incredible. I'm, I'm it, sorry, very finish. grateful. Yeah, it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, it, it just adds that dimension of joy to the whole experience, I believe. So anyway, Jean, I think we'll just take a little break for a few minutes. Okay, good. Um, so you can get a drink of water, do whatever else you need to do. Bill's going to play as a, a track of music that he usually plays at this point in the show. We're having a wonderful conversation. I'm absolutely loving every minute of it. So I'll hand over to Bill and we'll be back in oh, a few You're minutes. echoing, Jan. I can't hear you. You're echoing. Oh. I'm just going to hand over to oh, Bill to play some music and then we'll be back in um, just a few minutes. All right, great. Thank you. Yeah, and and Shane, um, Jan and I usually mute our phone at this point, um, so I can either mute you on the microphone so you can do whatever you need to do, or you can mute your phone. Which would you prefer? Yes, mute. I would love you to mute me, please. Okay, and you'll still be, you should be able to hear, but I'm just uh, I'm just putting you on mute so that there won't be background noise. And today, Jan says, I usually play some music. What people don't probably realize is there is an actual social significance to picking these songs. Mystic Highway, John Fogarty took 30 years writing it, and it's about the entire journey he went on from Creedence Clearwater Revival all the way to where he is now as a solo artist. And he is I've seen him in both his original band of Credence back in the 60s, 70s. And I've also seen him, Jen, and I've seen him live now in his late 60s, and now he's turned 70. And he's better now than he's ever been. But Mystic Highway tells a lot about a journey. And if you listen to the words of it, it has a very strong meaning. Another very powerful song that I've been using is ELO's Is This the Way Life's Meant to Be? Uh, talking about the uh, big ivory towers and the plastic flowers and what have you, and the exact opposite of what Jan and Jean have been talking about, connecting with nature. But I'm changing up the format a little bit today. I'm going to bring you one from the uh, author, the writer of much of the early Pink Floyd music, uh, Roger Waters, and off of his Radio Chaos album, which is an album about humanity, uh, unconsciousness destroying itself, and um, how it can be turned around. I've put the track on today for us to listen to called The Tide is Turning, and it has some very powerful lyrics as well. So here's Roger, and The Tide is Turning, and we'll see you back in about six minutes. I'll come on, and we'll put Zan and Jane back on. Thank you.
world was flat Rarely threw my hat into the crowd I felt I had used up my quota of yearning Used to looking on the children at night In the glow of their diamond dark light
Well, there you have it, folks. <clears throat> a little different break music this week. The Tide is Turning with Roger Waters off of his Radio Chaos album. And um, Tide truly is turning. And part of that is because of great people like my lovely wife, Jan, out there helping people get a grip on this. And also great people like Gene Rockefeller, our guest today. And Jan and her are having a lovely chat. If you're just joining us, you'll definitely want to go back and listen to the archives of the first half of the show. So without further ado, let me turn you back over to Jan and Jean, and we'll get Jean's microphone on, and we should be all set to go. Jan, you want to unmute and go for it? Okay, thanks, Bill. And um, enjoyed that music. It was a nice change from the usual. And before I go back to Jean, I just want to remind people about A Smiling World and our mission, which is to help spread empowerment across the globe and raise the vibrational frequency of people and the planet so we can all move into a much, much better world. Um, We do this through our empowerment, empower your life, events, training, and coaching. And you can find out more about what we do in A Smiling World at our website, asmilingworld.org or .com. They'll both take you to the same place. So back to Jean. And um, <laughs> before Jean starts to answer my next question, Jean, would, you mentioned that you've now got a blog. Would you like to share with our listeners where they can find your blog and the messages that you're um, communicating from Jack through the blog? Oh, sure. They can go to my website, which is jeanrockefeller.com, uh, and on the, the home page there are um, – I have a few of Jack's latest messages that they can click on to view, and if they'd like to subscribe, there's also um, a clickable link there where they can subscribe to Jack's messages if, it, if they resonate with it. And I also do private healing sessions. So if they're interested in a private healing session, I work with my watchers. In fact, they're they're right here now. I work with Gary, Little Bear, and Valentine usually, and I have a few others that will come in if needed. So I'm always working with my animals sharing healing. So it's not just me doing the energy work, but it's also um, the energy of Gaia and the energy of the animals. So if there are people who are interested in that, they can they can also get more information about that on my website. That's wonderful. And, um, you know, we've experienced that personally and found it really profound. Um, before we Thank go you, back Jan. To that's that, really nice. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah, it was really um, impactful. So before we go back to talking about Jack, would you like to just tell us a bit more about those sessions that you do with people? Um, well, really... Can I preface? I'm going to preface it. A, I'm going to take a couple minutes here and, and preface how I first learned about the energy that I was working with. For because I had learned so many different kinds of healing modality, I, I thought it was just an amalgamation of those en- energy modalities. I had started off working with Reiki, which um, is universal life force energy. So I just thought it was a, a, a form of that. And I, I, it took me a while to realize that I was working with something very, very much different. And um, I was uh, I was at our we had just gotten a round pen at our farm, and I took Jack out. Are you are you familiar? You know what a round pen is, right? It's a yeah, yeah. you know yeah. Okay, so I took Jack out in the I took Jack out in the round pen because he doesn't 
he doesn't take to new things very well. So I, I thought I would take him out and introduce him to the round pen so I wouldn't have to spend, you know, a whole bunch of time trying to get him acclimated to it the next time I rode. And there was nobody at the farm. So I, I took him out there, and he just kind of walked around, and I stood in the middle, and I, I wasn't really going to have him do anything spectacular. I was just, like I said, I was just trying to get him acclimated. And then um, I asked him to trot around, and he did. He started to trot. And then all of a sudden, it felt like someone had, someone was pulling on my solar plexus. And I thought this was odd. And he kind of, Jack was looking at me, kept on turning his head in, into the center of the, of the round pen, and he was looking at me. And he said, and then he, then he really, he stopped, and he turned, and he looked at me, and he said, we are one. And I thought, holy crap, here we go. What the hell is going to happen? And I, I didn't really understand, you know, what he was talking about, but I realized, you know, something was probably going to happen. So I braced myself. And he just started bucking and galloping around this round pen. And I thought, oh, my God, here I am. I'm at the farm. I'm all by myself. How am I, you know, he could he could jump over the round pen if he wanted to. And then, you know, because I, I started to get scared that obviously the worst thing that was going to happen or he'd get stuck on the round pen or something and then right in the middle of that it felt like somebody had punched me in the gut and all of a sudden a big there was a huge gust of wind and this flock of birds flew overhead I don't even know where the hell they came from they just kind of came out of nowhere and I could hear hooves thundering so I knew that the horses in the other pasture were starting to run up towards us. And then all of a sudden, I fell to my knees sobbing uncontrollably. And, I, you know, I, I just, I was kind of lost in the moment because I was just so engulfed in, in my emotions and the crying. And, and I kind of had forgotten that Jack was running around like a crazy horse around the uh, the round pen. And then I, and then all of a sudden I stopped crying and I thought, okay, so, and then I stopped, and Jack was just standing there staring at me. And I thought, all right, you know what, we've had enough of the round pen for today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back to your stall. And when I took Jack back to the stall, I, I put him back in there, and I was just going to give him a snack and then put him back out into the pasture. And I literally put him in the stall, walked you know, 20 feet out to my car, got him a snack, came back, and in that short period of time, he, I, I looked in his stall, and he was shaking violently. And I thought, oh, my God, what the hell's going on? You know, do I have to call the vet? I, I, I started to freak out, and I started to pace back and forth in front of the stall because I thought, what the hell could have happened in the short period of time that I was gone to have him elicit such a fear response? I mean, he was in like a full-blown panic, and I was a, a full, in a full-blown panic at that time too. So I'm walking back and forth, and I thought, all right, you know what? Jack's going to – he'll tell me if he needs something. So I walked into a stall, and I put my hands on him. Jan, he was on fire. He literally was on fire. Like he – and I thought, oh, my God, he's got a fever. He's got – you know, now what do I do? Do I have to, you know, get a trailer hooked up? Do I have to run him over to the the, um, the clinic? You know, what do I need to do? Um, and I thought, all right, you know what, I'll take his temperature. And then I could hear Jack saying in my head, just everything's fine. Just calm down. He said, I, I took this time for both of us to release energy. 
and don't allow fear to consume you because I'm fine. And I will be back to normal in a few minutes. But he said, you, however, are going to feel this, the effects from this for a, a couple weeks to come. And what he told me was, he said, this is the energy that you work with. This energy, the energy, the healing energy that you work with comes from Mother Earth. And this is, I gave you a demonstration of this today. And I stayed with him. I hosed him off, and I stayed with him for over an hour. But literally within about five minutes, the the fever was gone. He he wasn't hot anymore, and he had stopped shaking. So, you know, and that's the nice thing about working with animals, too. They get rid of their crap really fast because they don't have that ego holding, you know, holding everything on, saying, oh, whoa, poor is me, woe is me, and stuff like that. So that was the demonstration that he showed me of the energy that I was working with. So it wasn't just universal life force energy. It was coming from the earth and it was, it was, um, it was encompassing the trees and the earth and the animals and the sky and, and everything. It was just, it was a very profound experience. So when you ask about the energy that I work with, when I, when I work with people, it's basically, um, it's not basically it's it's connecting them to that energy through intention so when they when they contact me for a session they they are setting that intention that they want to be connected to the earth and during a session um their chakras are recalibrated to receive that energy from the earth and then basically gaia takes over and releases and heals things that um the, the person is ready to let go of and ready to help them move forward. And it can be quite profound because it's, it's different than at least any ener- energy healing modality that I'm aware of because most of them come from either the universal realm or, you know, like IET comes from the angelic realm. This one comes from the earth, and it helps us. It's helping humanity get more connected because there's a lot of people out there that are very connected to the earth but over time, they've lost their ability to connect to their universal healing abilities, their intuitive healing abilities, because over lifetimes, it's literally been beaten out of them. And they have so much fear connected to their power and their abilities. And once we can get reconnected to the earth, get rid of that, release that fear heal the fear that's preventing us from connecting to the earth, remembering our divine self, remembering our our interconnection to everyone and everything, that's when we're really going to be able to take a step forward as a a human collective. Did that answer your question? Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. And I know from from my own experience, I can't speak for Bill, obviously, because I wasn't a part of his experience, but I know um, very much that, when we did that work together, it was not just working on me, but the environment mm-hmm. that I was yeah. in as well, yeah, which was so... Um, because you had a connection to where you were. You were able to not only uh, only receive healing for yourself, but you're able to receive um, request healing on behalf of the animals. I, I'd like to interject a point here. Um, even though watchers have healing abilities, they cannot supersede what humanity has done. So if humanity has broken it, they have to fix it. But they can request healing on behalf of their animals. So in other words, if you're if if an animal has um uh a genetic 
predisposition to something or a genetic mutation that was created by humanity through breeding or a circumstance that was created by humans. Watchers cannot, they can't just say, all right, you know what, clean slate, everything's going to be fixed. The human has to request healing on their behalf. And they have to be willing to um, make the changes necessary in order to accommodate the healing that the animal requires. Mm. And I must say, one of my roles very much that I recognized as soon as I got there was, again, this facilitation of emotional healing with those mm-hmm. horses, which is mm-hmm. what my Andalusian taught me. And I had that experience mm-hmm. of, of feeling absolutely at one with, with him. Of course, he's passed now, as you know. But it was very clear to me that I had a role in working with the horses to heal the the um, impact of the experiences that they'd, they'd been through in this place. And, I mean, right. it was one of my regrets that I had to move on and leave them in an environment where, even though I'd done a lot to help, the, mm-hmm. the ownership had no perception of the impact of, of exactly. the treatment that those causes had received. So... I just keep sending them love. <laughs> well, and you that's know. the that's the best thing you can do. That's the best mm-hmm. thing, that, you know. Absolutely, because you know they're they're not the only ones in that situation, and and there's a lot of animals that are far far worse off than that. And if you can't if you can't physically do something to affect change, then the best thing that you can do is send them, send them positive love and and support and just. Let them know that you're there to support them in whatever whatever is happening because they have their purpose too. They're holding the light. They're definitely yeah. holding. You know, animals are here to help hold the light, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes they have to do that in pretty pretty dark circumstances mm-hmm. and under pretty dark conditions. So, is there any way of of recognizing when you've got a watcher with you? <laughs> you know, I've had some. I must share with you a really interesting experience I had, which is going back quite a few years now. And it was when I was in the... I I, I got over the worst of the um, experiences of rehabilitating my Andalusian. And, I mean, that's a whole other story. He he came along to teach me so much, and he had to have a nervous breakdown in order to do so. <laughs> and And, you know, when... I know you shared some things about how uh, Jack behaved, but, you know, there were some really hairy circumstances that would put me in quite significant physical danger with him because of his emotional state. But it was after we'd, we'd got past a lot of that, and I was actually at a, um, a show, a dressage show, and I parked my trailer, and I was walking back to register, and there was a a little Arabian horse, which is interesting because I've had this connection with, you know, Arabians, thoroughbreds, Andalusians, the much more the the hot bloods, you know, the very sensitive uh, breeds, um, all the way through my um, experience with with horses. And I walked past this trailer and this Arabian was tied to the trailer waiting for its turn. And uh, the owners 
uh, I think they were sat in the in the truck that was towing it. But I walked past, and this horse nickered at me. And I thought, oh, that's strange. Never seen this horse before in my life. Walked to the uh, to to register to sign in to say I was here. And I walked past the horse again, and it did it again. And I thought, hmm. this is bizarre. I'm going to try this again. And I walked past again, and it and it nickered again. So I walked up to it and kind of said hello, and at which point I think the owner spotted me out of the the, um, the side mirror and came out to see what on earth I was doing talking to their horse. <laughs> but it was a really interesting experience because, you know, Boto, my Andalusian, had really taught me how to tune in to horses, mm-hmm. how to tune into that, that inner being of the horse. And it was almost like that. it was a this, Arabian was kind of saying, "Oh, you're you're tuned in, <laughs> you know." Yeah. Oh, you're awake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Well, it, you know, it was, and, and, no, go, go ahead. On. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You carry on. <laughs> well, you know, a man, animals communicate uh, numerous ways. Most of the time, you know, wild animals communicate. Um, mostly through just telepathic communication. It depends on the breed, but, you know, like a, a, an elephant is going to communicate through emotions and so forth. But through the domestication process, domesticated animals, they've become mired in our emotions. And that's what a lot of, um, I don't, what's the right adjective? That affects them a lot is is our emotions and and a lot of people don't realize how much their emotions and their their projection of their emotions onto their animals has an effect on them, so not only are we communicating with them telepathically through our minds and through our thoughts, but we're also communicating with them through our feelings, and we are very incongruent beings and this this also goes in alignment with manifesting. On one hand, we're going to be thinking one thing, but we're going to be feeling something else, and we may be saying something completely different. And animals don't understand this. And this is one of the things that just confounds them about us is that, again, we, we think one thing. So, in other words, if I'm, if, I'm, um, if I'm taking my dog outside and I have her on a leash and I, and I say verbally to her because they understand, they understand words, don't run away when I take you off the leash. But then in my mind, I'm, say, I, I'm picturing the thousands of times she's run away every time I unhook her from the leash. She's going to go with what I think and not with what I say. And then yeah. she's going to wonder when she runs away, when I catch up to her, why I'm so pissed off. Not that this actually would happen. I'm just using this as a, as a scenario because this happens frequently. So all those three things were completely incongruent. And they're just kind of, they have no idea how to interpret because they, the first thing they go with is their, their, their mental communication, their telepathic communication. And when those things aren't, when all those, when your words, your actions, your feelings, and words, action, feelings, and thoughts are not in alignment and they're incongruent, um, it makes it far more difficult to operate and to, and to co-create what you want in your life. Because it's really important that those four things be in alignment and that you're projecting all four of those things in unison and have them be all on the same page. 
Absolutely, and and I think this is one of the prime roles that that the animals are playing. Certainly, absolutely, you know, yes. Yeah. Thank you for it. thank you for adding that. <laughs> Be, yeah, because this it's it's really um, Voto, my Andalusian, that taught me how manifestation works. Because I had mm-hmm. to use all these techniques of of bringing my energy, emotions, thoughts into alignment to stop myself being <laughs> launched into space because, yes. you know, if I'd have, if I'd have um, been saying, oh, you know, steady on, boy, <laughs> and be really in fear about what this horse is about to do, oh, yeah. then, then he would have immediately reacted to that because his, his, his emotional breakdown was literally he would go into that um, fight or flight mode, you know, panic yeah. mode and be almost, it felt like you were sitting on this unexploded bomb, you know? There was so much I, I'm there. very familiar with that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am no, very I... familiar with that feeling, yes. And it's not, it's really hard to, um, it's really hard to overcome that fear, especially when you're sitting on them and you're empathic and you're feeling their fear. Yeah, and, completely. And you may not even, I don't know if you even realized it. It took me for a while to, to realize that it wasn't my fear that I was feeling. It was Jack's fear. And then mm. I would start to get, you know, you're, and then at that point you're creating a herd. You and the horse are, are now a herd. And yeah. if you're not stepping up to the plate and, and being the leader, then the horse is like, you know what, the hell with you. I don't trust you. You're afraid. I'm going to take the lead. And Absolutely. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. It, so if you can if you can sit on them and and disconnect from their fear, that's one way that you can overcome um, and help to help help to quell their fears, so that you can you can accomplish what you set out to accomplish when you're when you're riding. But if you're in any state of fear at all, and this is this this is probably why you were drawn to um, these hypersensitive breeds, because they are. Um, they are very powerful. I mean, if I was driving over to the barn, I knew exactly at the point I'd be about a quarter of a mile away, and I could at that point sense Jack's mood. So that's how far they transmit their energy, especially herd animals, horses specifically. Mm. Their their energy can, can permeate that far out from, from their perimeter where they are, for sure. Yeah, and... And 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 that was, you know, I, it was only in hindsight that I realised mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. he he was he was there to teach me about fear and how to overcome fear. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, it's part of this mindfulness and this, you know, self um, growth that I, I got to the point where if and, and I mean the Arabians at the ranch were again, you know, quite volatile because mm-hmm. especially because of you know, they were all probably um, experiencing a form of PTSD as well. Right. So when I would feel a situation arising where the horse was about to lose it, I would just go immediately into outcome mode, calm. And I had the most profound experience one day on on Voto in in England, and I was riding in this uh, field that we didn't normally get to ride in, and it it was quite a steep slope and I was riding at the bottom and he had he loved galloping up hills <laughs> and of course being an Andalusian very very powerful absolutely you know to die for a horse in terms of paces and everything else very very oh, powerful yeah. and um, he was 
and and when he got excited, he could throw in the most enormous buck. <laughs> so I'm, and he had me off a, quite a few times as a result of that. So I just, I, I just practiced manifesting the outcome. I, I visualized, I quietened my whole energy down, almost into kind of a meditative level of energy, and I just visualized, you know, walking quietly and and. I don't really like the word submission because it implies some element of coercion. It's more about compliance. I was I was um, visualizing the softness of compliance, mm-hmm. and I was literally just not, you know, still keeping a fairly loose rein to intend this response from the horse. Yes, and it was yes. incredible. He just rounded completely softly. Mm-hmm. The well, your body, your body was congruent with with, with your thoughts and your feelings. Mm, yes, and and that's why he responded. You know, if you had been, if you had taken up the reins or had any tension in the reins or your shoulders or anything like that, that would have been there would have been an incongruency there. So he would have wondered, well, why is why is she not relaxed? She's thinking mm. that she wants. So it's 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 like being in a Zen moment. You 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 put yourself in a Zen state, and when you do that, the horse can go into a Zen state, and then you be you form this magnificent energy partnership that that can bring tears to your eyes, because you mm. you really are one with the animal. And I don't know, there's nothing more magnificent than riding a horse and experiencing that. At least in my view, I haven't I haven't experienced that really in any other situation other than on on the back of a horse. Mm. Absolutely, and I've, you know, I had moments where it almost was. Well, it it felt like we were just one being. It, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's like you're. It's almost like making love. Yeah. You know, it's completely. that. It's it's that. Inc- you know, it's that incredible of an experience. At least it was for me. Me too. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> agreed on that one. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'd like before. Before we, Bill said, have I got competition? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I just want to... My husband would say yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I want, we're actually scheduled for the live show to end in 10 minutes, but we do continue to record beyond that. So, if you're okay, I'd I'd really like to go on and ask you some more questions about the messages that Jack uh, shares, and particularly the messages that he's been sharing recently in terms of this amazing shift that we're all going through. Oh, yeah. Would you mind sharing that with us, Jean? Sure. So, um, all right, so... Where where would all right? So I'll start with the beginning of the year. So the beginning of the year really marked um, a time when we were releasing a lot of um, contracts and cords that we had carried for lifetimes that were redundant. So we've been we've been dragging a lot of people. I don't know if you've 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 heard of um, some people are clearing on behalf of the, the human collective or the Gaia collective, mm-hmm. and. As of the beginning of the year, um, a lot of those contracts had come to fruition. So a lot of people were freed up 
um, to kind of carry on on their own. So no longer were they carrying these balls and chains around with them, and they were freed, so which allowed more energy to come in. So we've been literally bombarded constantly since the beginning of the year with all this celestial energy, and then we'd, we'd, upload, we'd upload energy, and then we'd have to go through a reset. Now, it's kind of analogous to when you um, upload new software on your computer, you have to turn the computer off and then restart it in order to have the new software come online. And, and that has happened, uh, I don't even, countless times since the beginning of the year. And as of Is that why the, I have to keep rebooting my computer all the time? Yes, and that's, <laughs> that's another way that, yeah, and that's another way that you can tell your external world, it'll happen in, in your external world too. So I, I pay attention to... Um, if my washer, this is going to sound silly, but if my washer goes funky and I have to turn it off and, and turn it back on again to restart it because it, it didn't run through the cycle, it's like, okay, so we're going through a reset now. Or if I have computer problems, I know that the energies are, are starting to reset. So not only is it happening in your own life, but you can tell when it's happening in the environment because it affects electronic devices because they have, they're kind of going through a restart as well mm, and they're being affected. I won't so get up so and, irritated by it now, then. <laughs> it is, yeah. So don't just just kind of look at it as being a positive thing. It's like, okay, we're we're I'm uploading new energy now. Things are changing. Timelines are changing. Um, and as of, I'm trying to think. The 22nd was a Monday. It was the Saturday. So the 20 June 20th or June 21st, we had a timeline shift, and that was right around the solstice. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of energy came in at that point, and we've been clearing out. I don't know if you've if you've experienced this, but um, I, I've I know I've experienced this personally. I've heard from a lot of people who are experiencing this. They have this uh, for the last couple of weeks. They've has had this intense urge to like purge things from their life. So they've been cleaning out closets and cleaning little corners of their house and getting rid of things that they no longer need and and downsizing and what. The purpose of that has been, that's been in response to um, new energies that are coming in. So it's almost like today, it's a full moon, um, it's almost like today is the beginning of a new era, a beginning of a new year. And this month of July, we're going to experience, some people are going to experience growing pains. Um, they're going to experience, um, so they've been purging physically and energetically and now they're going to start to purge emotionally so this may be a tumultuous emotional month july may be or um their digestive system may start to clear out as they've they've released a lot of this physical energy that they no longer need and then some people are going to really begin to move forward um, with things that they've been trying to do for maybe two decades, and you know, and I know that you, you and Bill have, have experienced this. You, you've, it's like I know I need to do this, and I'm, I'm the universe is telling me I'm going to do it now, and I'm, I'm going to do it. But why am I getting? Why is it not working out the way it's supposed to? Mm. It's almost like you were, you were laying the groundwork for, um, for when your message is in alignment with the people that are ready to hear it. So you were getting you were laying the groundwork, you were you were putting the message out there, you were laying the energy, but unfortunately there weren't as many people as you thought or you wouldn't you wouldn't get the um 
the response that you had perceived. It's just mm-hmm. because we weren't in alignment with the, the universal energies. And now that um, we have evolved to the extent that we have, um, now more and more people, you know, they have been may have been working on things for 10, 15, 20 years, and now all of a sudden it's going to start to be where people are going to start to come out of the woodwork and really be in alignment with what they either have to say or, or what they have to offer. So there's a lot of people that have been waiting a very long time. They've been working very, you know, it's kind of analogous to um, Nikola Tesla. You know, he he had this incredible idea. It was revolutionary, but nobody was nobody was on board with it at the time. And now people are. And unfortunately, he's not around in the physical form. It, it's kind of analogous to that. So a lot of people have been working for a very long time, and and now we don't have to. We're going to experience the rewards in our lifetime because the people are going to be there energetically aligned with what we have to offer, which is good news. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great reminder what you were saying about, you know, it's easy to drop back into the the disconnect of I'm here kind of as a self-contained unit and, oh, my computer's not working properly or something's right. not working and forgetting the interconnectedness again that, you know, it, it's it's a different world to I'm going to push my products out to somebody and I'm going to beat it to death until they buy it and and, right. and everything else. This is much more about, you know, particularly with a with a life purpose, which is where we're we're all being encouraged just to move into the the path of following the life purpose um, exactly. rather than following things for the egoic reasons and and subject to all the conditioning. And that life purpose is going to be coming into its own in relation to everything else that's going on in the world. So, you know, I often joke that it says, well, it took me 55 years to get to the point of recognizing my purpose. Well, of course, it's because it wouldn't have been the right time exactly. to do it before then. And in the same way that, you know, Bill and I as Twin Flames got together, at, you know, when I was 55 um, and, of course, that was very much linked. The life purpose and the twin flame relationship came together. And we mm-hmm. say, you know, if mm-hmm. we'd met earlier, there's absolutely no way we'd have been ready for each other exactly. because we were in a completely the wrong place. So well, yeah, and I, I use the analogy of, of showing up for a race, but there's no one there to compete with you. I mean, you can mm. run the race by yourself, but how much joy are you going to get if there's no, if there's no one there to witness it or, or no one even to, 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 to compete with? And nobody to watch. <laughs> and that's what I mean. Yeah, no one there to witness it. You're just there by yourself running. You know, so you have yeah, to. You kind of have to wait. And, and a, a lot of people have been waiting a very long time for this to happen. So you know, again, this this is going to be a big transitional month for a lot of people. Some people are going to see their their dreams finally coming to fruition, while other people are just going to they're they're um, they're just clearing an immense amount of energy, preparing for the for what the future holds. Yeah, uh, Jane, that, what you and Jan are talking about, I'm just going to step in there. Um, you know, uh, Charles Einstein wrote a book called The Gift Economy, which I haven't read, and Jan and I have modeled a smiling world on the gift economy basis uh, because we never inc- exclude anybody. 
if they're in financial turmoil, they're one of the people that desperately needs to know about manifestation, and that's why we try to share on the radio, share on our blog posts, and also work with them on some type of energy exchange to where they can gift some type of energy that doesn't necessarily mean currency that they don't have. And one of right. the things that um, you're talking about, about this shift, that I find very exciting I don't know if people will come to the point, but I think I'm starting to feel in my gut feeling that people are starting to recognize now that where they pay big bucks to go see a big name, get up on stage and tell them a bunch of things that kind of motivate them for the moment, but don't actually take them by the hand and walk them through a process that gets them to the destination. Yeah, that they don't actually give them the tools or or they say, okay, you got some good ideas here. Now go to the back of the room and buy my book and you'll have right. the rest of the answers. <laughs> and exactly. I think that we're, we're seeing the world transition away from that. And that's one reason that we structured the workshops the way we did so that when they walk away, they've not only done it hands-on specific to their life, and actually work through exercises Jan has them doing specific to them Mm -hmm. and taking away the workbook that's finished. But there's an underlying thing about the giving and receiving that's, I think, very important and starting to come out now is the quantum field works in a circular motion. Just look at the planets going around the sun. And the... The quantum field works in America, especially in a lot of the West, we're brought up to, you know, oh, you should give, 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 give. But we're also brought up to put our hands up in front of us and go, oh, no, I couldn't take that. And one of the critical things is is receiving everything with gratitude, always taking everything with gratitude. And one of the things we found is where we don't exclude anybody, Mm-hmm. If somewhere else along the line, something will be gifted to us, possibly even out of the clear blue, that will just drop our jaw. But it mm-hmm. is the universe working in that divine flow. And the other thing that I'm hoping to see, and I think we are seeing, is not only the recognition of people saying, well, I want to actually have my hand held and work through this because I actually want the results. Now, I don't want to keep riding the roller coaster and, you know, just going to something to get me pumped up. They actually are wanting the end result. But more importantly, the people who were doing that type of approach or what we call selling from the back of the room or doing the motivational side rather than the transformational side, Right. I think their consciousness is raising to the point now they're seeing something that I've said all along in my business consulting clear back long before I met Jan in England and America when I go in to do turnarounds and whatnot. People are like, how do you make such amazing increases in sales and gross profit? And I said, there's one simple answer. A, well, let's say one simple answer. Basically, three simple answers. One is you treat your employees as humans, as sentient beings, just like you have to watch her. And they, in turn, learn to treat their customers that way. This automatically increases the profits and the uh, revenues and whatnot in the business, which makes everybody happy. But more importantly, and I think it's the C issue, 
that in my consciousness, I would like to see the global consciousness shift this way, and I think it is slowly getting there, is that people understand we have billions of people on the planet. There is no reason not to ask the divine, how do I serve whatever I'm doing, whatever my job or role is, how do I serve the individuals I meet totally and completely so that they never need me again? Because with billions of people on the planet, we don't need to just keep beating people to death, selling them the next product. I mean, it brings great joy to I when somebody comes back to Jan and I and says, oh, we really love that. We'd like to have a look at something different. That's great. That's fine. But the focus of actually saying we want to get you to a place where you never need us again mm-hmm. and you're always there as a friend, I think yep. we're actually starting to see a lot of people out there in the business slowly getting the mm-hmm. uptick of that and saying, that are I have more than enough customers. I will never mm-hmm. run out of customers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hand you back to you and Jen on that note. Well, you I, know, I Bill, that, that. Well, thank you for that. And that goes with the, the Chinese um, saying that if you give a man a fish or Japanese, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach him how to fish, he can eat for a lifetime. So it's the same It's the same kind of thing that you were just talking about. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think humanity is starting to learn that, and I, I hope that that happens very rapidly because I think it will improve the world greatly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Gene, is there, is there anything else um, in the current situation, scenario, that you want to share that um, Jack's passed on to you? Oh, gosh, not that comes to mind. Okay. I, I, yeah, not that comes to mind. Okay, so if people want to keep up with the messages that come through Jack, um, the best thing to do is to actually go to your website and sign up for the, the newsletters that you publish when you get your next message. Yes, yeah, and that, like I said, there's a link right on the home page of my of my website, GeneRockefeller.com, that they can click on and subscribe. And there's also other previous messages. I think this the the last four or five messages that he, um, all the ones from this year are on the home page. So people are interested if they want to read them and and see if they resonate with them and they like to sign up. Lovely. Or if they'd and like they to have a healing to- session, they can also, again, they can also get that information on my website. That's great. That's what I was going to add, actually, that they can contact you through there to arrange a session. And I really would recommend Jean's sessions. They are absolutely amazing. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you, Jan. That's so, that's so kind of you. I really appreciate that. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show, Jean, and it's been such fun to... Um, I know. To... This has been wonderful. It's it's fun <laughs> to talk horses, isn't it, and animals? I know. I know. We <laughs> We could go on forever. Bill was saying, you know, at the beginning of the show, well, that's it for the day now. Because <laughs> I know, I heard him say that. <laughs> yeah, we could go on forever. Oh, 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 Bill, Bill's Bill got Bill wants point. to say something? Yeah, he's bursting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say something here. Uh, I have to share a little story with you, Jane, and with our listeners. Um. I had the great privilege of going to a workshop by one of the gentlemen in the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know, Joe Dispenza. And Dr. Joe Dispenza is an amazing man with a wealth of uh, 
information on brain research and how mm. to rewire our brains. And and anybody that is not familiar with Joe Dispenza, you really need to look into his work because once you understand how your brain works, you find how yeah. easy it is to change yourself. But I went to one of the workshops and I was telling Jan how amazing it was. And when we were putting the festival together, we were trying to coordinate schedules of the festival with his schedule, which unfortunately didn't work out. But the, the long and the short of this was we uh, I took Jan to one of his workshops to see how amazing it was. And she was really impressed. And in that, um, we had the great pleasure of having dinner with Joe in London. Oh, wow. And, uh, and we were walking down the sidewalk, <laughs> and there were four of us, Jan, myself, Joe Dispenza, and Dr. Dispenza, and uh, his public relations person, kind of his handler that helped him with everything, his personal assistant, um, on the trip. And the gentleman that was the personal assistant and I were walking kind of side by side right behind Jan and Joe. And the subject got on to the fact that he raised Andalusian horses. Oh, my <laughs> and gosh. I, and I turned to the PR guy and I said, I um, think we might as well decide what we're going to talk about all <laughs> evening because Jan and Joe are gone. There will be no coming back now that they're talking about horses. And, oh and he gosh. laughed and he said, you're right. So it's apparently the truth. Been there before. Hey, that's, that's a good story. Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off with Love and Hugs and let you and Chan wrap up, and then we'll, uh, we'll get everything sorted out here on the technical side to end the show. Yeah, so okay, thanks. Hugs, thanks so much, Bill. It's been fun. Bye-bye. Namaste. Yeah, and, and that was such a great conversation that we had as well. Because oh, I'm sure. Thing, he used an analogy of riding one of his Andalusian stallions and the how to control the focus of that energy. You know, mm-hmm. as part of his uh, his workshop, which I knew exactly what he meant by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. And I know you do. You know, that energy has to be mm-hmm. channeled in the right direction to have the the outcome that you want. So. So anyway, Jean, oh, I could go on for hours. It's been so lovely to have you on the show. And I do well, hope thank you'll you. Jack a hug and a pet and a carrot. I will. I'm going to go me. see him in about um, <laughs> an hour. He's getting his mani-pedi today. Oh, wonderful. So, <laughs> um, yeah, such wonderful work that you do. And, uh, you well, know, thank I'd like you. to reiterate how wonderful your sessions are and the the messages that Jack shares with us are so uplifting, and I think not only in terms of the content, but also the concept of the role of animals in our own evolution and how important it is to respect that life, in fact, all life on the planet, yes. and Gaia herself, and really, you know, feel back into that interconnection with mm-hmm. with all beings, even our computers, and <laughs> being grateful Absolutely. for whatever yeah. In the bigger picture. Being the so, little buggers they are. Seeds of frustration at times. <laughs> Absolutely. So um <laughs> it's been lovely to have you. We're gonna wind up now. Um okay. Buddy, our doggy watcher, is getting a bit anxious about going out, so we'll be okay. taking him out in a second. He lets us know very clearly when he's ready to go out. So thanks again and um, Oh thank you, Jan. I'm I'm so grateful that you had me on. It's just it was a wonderful experience. Yes. Uh, and thank you to everyone too. who's listening as well. Thank you. 
absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to hang back over to Bill to just wind up the show as usual with a little music to finish things off. Thanks, everybody, for listening, whether you listen live or you're listening to the archive. We're really grateful to have you along, and we've got more great guests lined up in the week to come. So go and see what Jean's up to at jeanrockefeller.com <laughs> and also have a look at our website, asmilingworld.org. And have a wonderful week and a wonderful life. Over to you, Bill. Thank you. And, Jean, thank you so much again. And thank for you, the Bill. Guys out, yeah, and for the guys listening out there, by the way, Jean and I did a session, not just Jan and I, and it was amazing, I must say. She is an incredible woman and an incredible healer, and she brought a lot of things to light that really helped me. So don't uh, don't think this is all just between the girls <laughs> or just between the horse lovers because Jean can... Gene can reach out and touch anyone, as the old ATT commercials used to say. But um, <laughs> Thanks. For everybody that's listening, don't forget um, that I just those that are listening, you know that you're listening probably right now at this portion of the show on an archive version. 99.9% of our listeners listen at their own convenience on the archives. And I highly recommend looking back through the archives, especially if you're listening to a live show and you hear the show end when you're listening live and there's still talking going on, go back and catch the ends of the shows because Blog Talk blesses us with an extra hour of recording. And uh, that works really well with everybody coming back in and listening on archives at their convenience. So <clears throat> to all of our archive listeners, thank you very, very much. We know there's a lot of you out there. And, again, thank you to Jean and lots of love and hugs from Jen and I. And today, I've been wrapping up the show, as everybody knows, with the legendary Willie Nelson singing On the Road Again, because Jen and I have been on the road literally now for a couple of three months, whatever it's been. And uh, but since we're in Seattle and we're sitting still for a few weeks, I think what we're going to do today is we change the break music to The Tide is Turning, which is a lovely piece by Roger. But I think we'll go back to ELO and end it on an upbeat note of uh, the um, song we use in previous shows, Is This the Way Life's Meant to Be? And so to all of you, we'll see you next week. And thanks for listening.